0: Hey, it's Pastor Mike. If you enjoy listening to this podcast and make it a regular part of your day, can I ask for your regular support? We really can't make any of our sermon series or devotions without the continual support of friends like you. Time of Grace, in case you didn't know, is 100% donor funded, meaning it is your gifts that make it possible for us to use television and print and digital media to share the good news of God's amazing grace. Just click on the link in the episode notes and thank you for all of your prayers and all of your support. God bless. Right, God hates sin. And so if someone abused you, that wasn't like God pulling the levers because he wanted you to get hurt. If, if someone betrayed you or bailed on your marriage or your mom and dad didn't, didn't work, that's not God doing that. That's sinful human choice. But here, I do want you to know that even through the mess that we humans create, God is at work. are you here today? Now, as you process what that reason might be, I I think there are two big categories that you can fall in. You might realize, okay, it was a job, it was a move, it was a friend, it was a relationship. But if you're taking notes in your program, I want you to write this down. The, The two kind of big reasons why that might have happened in your life are this. Some of you think and you believe, number one, that it's just coincidence. It's just random. It's like flipping a coin. You, You met this person who went to this church and you didn't meet that person who didn't go to this church. You were flipping through the channels at home and you, for some reason, stopped on this one instead of another one. It's just coincidence. You know, people who believe this say, well, this is just the hand that I was dealt, which essentially means, like, of all the lives I could have, they were shuffled up, totally random, and here's the one that I got. That's why I'm here. Or, Maybe like me, some of you believe the second answer to that question, which is not coincidence but providence. So, providence is a big, fancy religious word, it was much more popular uh, years and generations ago in American history. Providence essentially means the plan of God, right? That God had a plan, God had a reason. God's not like the, the dude who made your Apple phone who just created it and sent it to you, and now it's just you. that God actually controls and uses history for the good of his people and for the glory of his name. That it wasn't a coincidence or an accident that you lived here or got that job or went through this difficult thing. That was actually the plan, the providence of God. And we're not going to take a vote today, but I'm just wondering, you know, on a scale, total coincidence and total providence, how do you think about life? Like, yeah, it's mostly coincidence, but maybe sometimes God has a, you know, there's some reason for what I'm going through. Are you kind of here? Are you in the middle? Like, sometimes it, it feels random, but sometimes there's just too many things that line up, and you think, no, there's got to be something or someone. Are you one of those super, super, like, biblical religious people that everything is God? You know, the light turned green, and when you're trying to cruise down Main Street, it's like, totally God. He knew I was late. <laughs> right? Is it is it up the stoplights and jobs and people that you work with? Is is that too religious? Are you way over here? I'm just wondering on the spectrum of coincidence and providence, where are you? Now I want to play my hand really early in this message to tell you that my goal in today's message is to is to push you this way. It's to actually get you to believe that what you go through, the good stuff and the bad stuff, is not random. It's not just bad luck, it's not just pointless pain and suffering, that there's a God who is not just love, but he's also power and sovereignty and control. And that God, even when you don't understand him, he has reasons and purposes for all the things he does in our lives. I don't know if I'm going to get you all the way to this extreme, but I want to push you one, two, three degrees closer in this direction, and, and here's why. Because people who believe in providence instead of coincidence have two things that the coincidence people do not. They have immense gratitude and they have profound peace. All right, let me say that again. If I can convince you to believe more in providence than in coincidence, what I can offer you, what God can offer you, is a bigger sense of gratitude and a more profound sense of peace. If if you believe in providence, then every good moment in life is like this trampoline that like it amps up your gratitude and it it humbles you and it makes you so grateful that God is so good to a person like you that he would give you so many good and perfect gifts. And, And when life is not good, when you're going through something heartbreaking, when you're you know, sitting in a hotel room and you're looking at your phone, there's so much like hate and criticism and comparison, and you're feeling anxious and you're feeling depressed, or you, you go through something in your home country and you're an immigrant and you're just you know, life is difficult, or the the relationship is just not happily ever after, and you're struggling, and you're going to counseling, and you're talking about the same thing again and again, you're sitting in a jail cell, you're sitting in a nursing home. When when life is bad, if you believed in coincidence, you would just say. Sucks for me, I guess. Right. T- totally random. But if you believe in providence, what do you get to say? God's working through this. Right? Maybe I don't understand why he allowed this. Maybe I don't get why he didn't stop this. But this is not pointless. This has a purpose. If it is true what the Bible says, that in all things, God works for the good, then that must apply to this thing then the reason I'm in this valley is because God has a purpose. The, the reason I lost my parents when I was so young is because God has some purpose. And I'm not God. And I don't claim to know what that purpose is, but I believe it because he's a good God who gave me his one and only son. You see, if I can get you to believe in providence, you can get through breakups. You can get through mental health struggles. You can... Get through success and failure. Everything can be going well. Everything can fall apart. If you stop being a person of coincidence and start becoming a person of providence, the highs are higher and the lows are bearable. The good gets better and the bad won't break your heart. And so today, for the sake of your gratitude, for the sake of your peace, for the sake of your soul, I want to once again open the Bible to the book of Esther, what I think is the most interesting book, maybe in the whole scriptures, and try to push you in this direction to become a person that I'm trying to get to as well, to become a person who deeply, passionately, and frequently believes in the providence, the plans of God. So, if you have a Bible with you, or you just want to follow along on the screen, here's Esther chapter five, the moment she approaches the king. On the third day, Esther put on her royal robes and stood in the inner court of the palace in front of the king's hall. The king was sitting on his royal throne in the hall facing the entrance. When he saw Queen Esther standing in the court, he was pleased with her and held out to her the gold scepter that was in his hand. So Esther approached and touched the tip of the scepter. Then the king asked, What is it, Queen Esther? What is your request? Even up to half the kingdom it will be given you. If it pleases the king, replied Esther, let the king, together with Haman, come today to a banquet that I have prepared for him. I've prepared a banquet just for me and you and our friend Haman here. I want you to come to it tomorrow. And Xerxes opens up the Evites and he RSVPs immediately, yes. He's super into it. He's already on her side. Everything's looking really, really good until, until a twist in the plot. Let's keep reading chapter 5. Verse nine. Haman went out that day happy and in high spirits. But when he saw Mordecai at the king's gate, that's Esther's cousin, and observed that Mordecai neither rose nor showed fear in his presence, he was filled with rage against Mordecai. Nevertheless, Haman restrained himself and went home. Calling together his friends and Zeresh his wife, Haman boasted to them about his vast wealth, his many sons, and all the ways the king had honored him and how he had elevated him above all the other nobles and officials. And that's not all. I'm the only person Queen Esther invited to accompany the king to the banquet she gave, and she has invited me along with the king tomorrow. But all this gives me no satisfaction as long as I see that Jew Mordecai sitting at the king's gate. His wife Zeresh and all his friends said to him, Have a pole set up, reaching to a height of 50 cubits, a cubit was elbow-to-fingertips, about 18 inches, so 75 feet tall, and asked the king in the morning to have Mordecai impaled on it. Then go with the king to the banquet and enjoy yourself. This suggestion delighted Haman, and he had the pole set up. Did you catch the timeline? In the morning, have him murdered, and then go to the feast and enjoy yourself. What does that mean? It means that Haman, and Xerxes did everything that Haman wanted, Haman was going to murder Mordecai before Esther had any idea, right? She was working out her plan and at the banquet, she was going to point the finger and say, Haman is trying to kill your wife, Xerxes. But before that even happens, Mordecai is going to be skewered on a 75-foot pole. She has no idea. He has no idea. It's just between Xerxes and Haman, and neither of them have this great love for Mordecai. They don't even know who he is. The the plan is falling apart until a coincidence? Until the sweetest moment of providence. That's my favorite part of the whole book. Ready? Chapter 6. That night the king could not sleep. So he ordered the book of the Chronicles, the record of his reign, to be brought in and read to him. It was found recorded there that Mordecai had exposed Big Thana and Teresh, two of the king's officers who guarded the doorway, who had conspired to assassinate King Xerxes. What honor and recognition has Mordecai received for this? The king asked. Nothing has been done for him. His attendants answered. Come on now. What What are the odds of that? What are the odds that, like the only night that Mordecai had a chance to be saved, that the king could not sleep? And what are the odds that when he couldn't sleep, instead of like counting ancient sheep or you know getting up early to work, what are the odds that the king would just happen to ask for the monthly meeting minutes of the kingdom to be read to him? And when the attendant brings the big scroll, what are the odds? Do you know that Mordecai's saving of King Xerxes happened five years ago? Before this day? What are the odds that he just opens the scroll to the only section that mentions Mordecai? And what are the odds that as the drowsy king is listening, he actually cares enough to say, well, wait, what reward did that man get for saving me? And what are the odds that five years earlier, when Mordecai had done this great thing and foiled the plot, that nothing was given to him which sparked the king's heart? What are the odds? And what are the odds that in the very moment that King Xerxes is thinking, I-, "I need to delight this man who saved my life, that someone else comes walking into the palace before the rooster crows, first thing in the morning, first thing on the king's agenda, it's It's Haman. And this is my favorite part. I shouldn't gloat about this, but this is by far my favorite part. <laughs> you know, Haman's coming in to ask for Mordecai's death, But before he can ask for it, King Xerxes has a question. And the question is, Haman? What do you think the king should do for the man that he delights to honor in? And because Haman is a total tool, what does he think? Well, obviously, that's me. <laughs> and so he, he thinks big. He says, oh, king, I have an idea. You should get a royal robe, one that only the king himself has worn, and you should put it on that man. And then you should find a, a royal horse that only the king is ridden, and you should put that man right on the horse. And then you should get a royal servant, someone who's big in the kingdom, and have him lead the parade, walk through with the horse among all the people of the kingdom, and proclaim as he points to that man, this is what happens to the man the king delights to honor In, And Xerxes says, you're so smart, Haman. Get the robe, find the horse, you're leading the parade, because I can't wait to honor Mordecai, the Jew. And Haman's face goes, (laughs) (laughs) You know, actually, this is such a a great moment that many of the greatest, like, artistic masters in history have tried to capture this. Rembrandt tried, Michelangelo tried. Let me show you one uh, picture from history I, lo- I love it there's Mordecai he's in the royal robes he's in the fancy dressed up horse <laughs> I just love the look in Haman's eyes he's he's boiling with embarrassment inside and he's just trying to get through it and he literally has to parade through the kingdom and say about his worst worst enemy this is what happens to the one the king delights to honor As soon as the parade is over the Bible says he covers his face he runs home, he gathers all his terrible friends and his terrible wife together, he gushes about what's happened, what the king said about Mordecai, and his even his wife knows. Uh-oh. This is bad. And just when they're wondering what's gonna happen to all of them. Last verse of chapter six. While they were still talking with Haman, the king's eunuchs arrived and hurried him away to the banquet that Esther Had prepared. Hmm. So, what happens next? Come back next week as we continue our (laughs) thrilling ride through the book of Esther. (laughs) I really want to keep reading it so good. Someone's going to die in the next chapter. So, just in case you're not an every Sunday church person, you have to come back for that. But uh, I do want to pause here on the story because I want to talk about you. Uh, Here's what I take away from this story that just is corroborated by a thousand passages in the Bible. Write this down. That because God is powerful and God is in control and God is sovereign, he wants us to believe that there is no coincidence, just providence. The king not sleeping, the meeting minutes of the kingdom just happening to be on that entry. That that was not coincidence. That was God quietly working like a ninja to carry out his grand plan for the good Of his people. I hope that you can start to believe that simple phrase, there is no coincidence, just providence. That's the Bible's answer to that question. Why are you here at this time, in this land, in this place? Well, Paul said, the God who made the world marked that out for you so that you would seek him. Not everyone does it. Perhaps you'd reach out for him and you would find him. So let me teach you, before I say amen, how to put that into practice. All right, I want to teach you to think about providence during the good times, during the bad times, and especially during the gospel times. All right. Let me wrap up with the good, the bad, and the gospel. The next time something good happens to you, and I would bet it will happen within the hour, I want you to think, God, Every good and perfect gift is from above. Like, the people at my work, they don't all know me. The people on my block, half of them don't even know my name. But the God who should be busy running the universe actually cared so much about me, he gave me this. My family and I, my girls are sitting in the front row over there. We, We love to think about this when a great song comes on the radio. Right, and you think, well, what are the odds? Right, our, like our, our jam came on. Like the, for us, for Kim and me, it's like 90s hip-hop. Um, my girls got their own thing. And that comes on, and you think, oh, like God. Sorry, I just said God loves 90s hip-hop. I'm not sure if that's theologically correct. <laughs> right, but like these, these good moments, and you could just think, wow, that was just some random DJ putting a random song on the radio. But what if, what if there is a, a Father in Heaven who loves our whole family more than I love those girls? And just like I love to bring happiness into their life, what if if it's possible that God is even a better dad than I am? And He's working out history and everything to show His love, to shower it upon us. What if every good thing you go through is God trying to say, I love you, I see you, I've forgotten about you? Come on. How many good meals do you have? How many funny friends do you have? How many good songs are there on the radio? How many opportunities is God giving you to like cement this relationship and believe he is not just here, but he is so infinitely good? The next time something good happens, say this. This is God. This is not coincidence. This is providence. God marked out the time and place so that I would experience his glory and love him even more. But number two, not every moment of life is like that. Sometimes your song doesn't come on the radio. There's nothing on the radio. And sometimes you're not laughing with friends. Sometimes you have a falling out with friends. Sometimes you're riding high, but it feels like more often, life is, eh, if not, In those moments, maybe more than any moments, I, I hope that you believe in providence. Now, really quickly, here's what I'm not saying. I, I'm not saying that God wants people to hurt you or sin against you, right? God hates sin. And so if someone abused you, that wasn't like God pulling the levers because he wanted you to get hurt. If, if someone betrayed you or bailed on your marriage or your mom and dad didn't, didn't work, that's not God doing that. That's sinful human choice. But here, I do want you to know that even through the mess that we humans create, God is at work. Right? He doesn't like, he doesn't bail because things are getting too messy. Do you know the famous psalm? It's one of the most famous songs in human history. Psalm 23, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil because you are, you're with me. King David, who went through all kinds of drama, believed, even if I'm in the valley Even if I'm struggling with my own mental headspace, and I just wish God would rid me of this, even if I've been through war, even if I have struggled in life, like God is going to turn that mess into a ministry. God is going to turn this brokenness into a blessing. God takes what the enemy meant for evil and flips it. He turns it for good. I'll tell you what, there are people who got through the Holocaust because they had hope. There are people who come out stronger and better people after tragedy because they believe this wasn't just random. There are people sitting here today who have been through more than any of you can understand, and yet they praise God because they believe there was a purpose. There was a reason. So if, if you want your suffering to be pointless, have fun with coincidence. But I'm going to stand with King David and say, no, 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 this is providence. Providence. This is a God who promised in Romans eight verse eight, "In all things, God works for the good." And so the next time good things come, you say, "This was God." And the next time bad things come, you say, "But but still God. God's got this. He's got me." And one day I'll see. Finally, number three: the gospel. Uh, I think that's actually Paul's point in Acts 17, the God who marked out the times and boundaries. God did this so that people would seek him. Did you know that the most important thing about God is not the music, it's not the food, it's not the friends. The most important thing about God is the forgiveness he offers through Jesus. It's like the bread and butter most important thing you need to know about the Christian faith is that we don't believe in karma, We don't believe in balancing the scales. You know, I did some bad stuff, so I'm going to give to charity and I'm going to be a good person. We actually believe that the only way to make it to a better place and to be with the best person you can even imagine is not through our efforts, our works, our character, our improvement. It is through the cross of Jesus Christ. Some of you have a little experience with religion. Some of you have a lot, and maybe that religion was all like do, don't, rules, rules. Earn it. Be good, and God will love you. If you're bad, he won't. I'm going to tell you today, and maybe you're here for the single sentence, that ain't God. 2,000 years ago, when Jesus Christ came to this earth, he didn't bring a ladder and hand it to humans and say, good luck, love your neighbor, forgive people, don't lust. You better not steal, give to the poor, hope it goes well for you, be perfect, God's perfect. Now, what Jesus did is he talked about that ladder and he said, You're not going to get there, are you? Let me give you another way. And he took the wood of that ladder and he refashioned it and he turned it into that a place where there would be forgiveness every single time a place where you and I could have a relationship that we wouldn't blow up with our own mistakes. A place when we feel criticized or forgotten or unloved. There is just God pouring out grace on top of grace, on top of grace, on top of grace. There is a God who actually loves people unconditionally. And when we open our hands and let go of control of our lives, the Bible calls this repentance, and and we use those empty hands to just grab onto Jesus. We get everything that our souls crave and desire. We get God now, tomorrow, and forever. So, I don't know your story. It might seem like a coincidence that you're here, or maybe God marked out this time and this place so that you would seek him, perhaps reach out for him, and find him because he is not far from any one of us. Let's pray. Uh, God, we live in a world that forgets you. Uh, Sometimes it hates you and rejects you, but most of the time it just forgets you. But if we forget you, God, we don't have you to make those good moments even better, to make the, the worst moments bearable. So today, we're trying to remember you. We're trying to remember that you are a God who controls and knows all things. You are a God who holds the universe and our lives in the palms of your hands. God, help us to believe that. Help us to cling with everything in our souls to that ancient verse that that the Apostle Paul wrote, in all things, you work for the good. Heavenly Father, we want to know that you're not just a God who cares about us but can't do anything. Neither are you a God who can do everything but doesn't care about us. You are the perfect combination of power and love and you proved it through the death of your Son. Heavenly Father, I'm grateful we're here today. Uh, There's a lot of us who needed to hear this we need to remember just how intimately involved you are day-to-day, moment-to-moment, second-by-second because you are a good, good Father. So today, we lift up your name. We try to find gratitude for the good, we try to find peace in the midst of the bad, and we know that one day, we will understand the grand plan you have for us. Until then, help us to seek Jesus with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Help us to make your word the center of our life, the sun around which everything revolves. And God, at the end of all things, help us to one day see, Well, we believe in this moment that you are good and your love endures forever. We pray all these things in the beautiful name of Jesus and all God's people said, amen. Do you find Jesus really interesting, but kind of confusing? Maybe today you sense that God is working on your heart and giving you a new excitement about the things of the Christian faith, but you're not quite sure what to do next. If so, you're exactly the kind of person that I wrote this brand new book for called The Basics. Uh, It's not AP Bible and it's not going to answer every question you have about Christianity, but it's going to get you back to the basics of why Jesus is worth following today and for the rest of your life. If you're interested, just go to timeofgrace.org to download your free copy.
1: You can't tell God's story without the faith and fortitude of the women he uses to accomplish his purposes. The women of the Bible consistently rose to the challenges of their day and embraced God's purpose for their lives. The fact is, our culture, and even the church, has not always valued women. But God has, and He still does today. Real Women of the Bible, a new book by trusted ministry author, Dr. Paul Kelm, explores the character of some of the remarkable women in Scripture, time and time again reminding us that women play an absolutely essential role in God's plans. Each one of us today, both men and women, can carry the same legacy of faith. God values you, He sees you, He loves you, and the church needs you because God raises us all up to stand for Him, live for Him, and love for Him so the world can know Him. Be inspired by real women with real imperfections who use their specific time and purpose and accomplish really remarkable things through a big God. Real Women of the Bible is our way of thanking you for your financial support to help share how God has a purpose for each of us. Request yours today by visiting TimeOfGrace.org or writing us at PO Box 301, Milwaukee, Wisconsin 53201.
0: Time of Grace doesn't end here. Visit timeofgrace.org and explore encouraging resources or sign up for our daily email and have everything delivered right to your inbox, like our Grace Moments devotions, Grace Talks devotional videos, blog, and podcasts. Follow us on social media where you'll find a supportive Christian community. If you need prayer, give us a call and let us know what's on your heart. Thank you so much for your support. See you next week on Time of Grace.